Hello, you're listening to Spirit Life Teachings with T. Jason Price, founder of Power for Freedom Ministries. Check out full sermons, encouraging words, and more on our YouTube channel, Facebook page, and website, all linked in our show notes. Now, here's T. Jason Price. I'm getting the signal we're ready to start, so let's dive into the Word of God. We're going to open in prayer and get started. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for opening our hearts, opening up our understanding of what you are doing. Father, we ask that we would all grow and mature into who you called us to be, that every obstacle, every distraction in our life, Father, would come into the obedience of you, that we would have more passion for your word, for your purpose in our life than anything else, Father. We pray you would open our spiritual eyes and our ears that we may hear and see what you're doing that you remove any obstacle within our hearts, that tonight we would really hear from you. Father, let this be a blessing to us in growth, maturity, in boldness, and power, and anointing that we may accomplish what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. All right, so turn with me first to Jeremiah chapter 14. And... We want to look at a false prophet because that's what we're going to talk about tonight is false prophets and we're going to talk about uh, Jonah not being one but it could very well look like he was and a lot of people come up to me and this is a question that's been happening a lot lately is what if a word doesn't come true does that make you a false prophet or what if you received a word and then something happened in your life Uh, like you got a word that you and a church was going to do something and then you're no longer with the church or if you got a word Uh, about your position somewhere then the position changed and so we want to find out what this means and we want to look at the word of God and we want to understand a false prophet we understand real prophets and God's part our part all this good stuff so we're going to cover a lot of ground tonight so I am excited for it I'm always excited for it so turn me to Jeremiah chapter 14 in verse 14 is where we're going to start and the Lord said to me the prophets are prophesying lies in my name I have neither sent them, nor commanded them, nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you in a vision of lies, divination, futility, and deception of their own hearts. Therefore says Yahweh concerning the prophets, who are prophesying in my name, although it was not I who sent them, yet they keep saying there will be no sword or famine in this land, but that sword and famine, those prophets shall meet their end. This is really strong language. Uh, this is the Lord saying, these people keep doing stuff that I'm not telling them to do. And, you know, they're false, they're lying, and the Lord's going to deal with them. And these things are going to happen into their life. Not a good situation. Not a good place to be as a prophet at all. And so, I want to talk to you about what is a false prophet, and what is not a false prophet, and what happens when we give prophecies that there's a contingent, in other words, on people being a part of them because there is if the prophecy you were given has other people and part of it uh, people have a thing called free will and in that free will there's a choice that we can make now false prophet prophesying here that's something the lord did not tell them to say that is a false prophet they are mocking god they're saying things they should not say it is not from god turn me to deuteronomy 18. okay same thing This is where we get a lot of these quotes from. Deuteronomy 18, verse 20. 
But any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name or who speaks in the name of another God must die. You're talking strong language. But you may wonder how we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord. And here's where we grab about false prophets today. If the false prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will note the Lord did not give that message. That prophet has not spoken without my authority and need to and need not to be feared. He has spoken without my authority and need not to be feared. So if it doesn't come true, we're reading here, that false prophet should be, um, I mean, I'm just using the words in the Bible, they must die. They're not supposed to be around anymore. False prophets, the actual word of the false prophets in the idea is a New Testament from Jesus when he's talking to Matthew about a false prophet, sheep's clothing, come in and deceive people and will know them by their fruit. In the Old Covenant, the word false prophet really wasn't a word as much as what Jesus used. It was you either are a prophet or not. So you're either with God or you're not with God. And I think a lot of times now in the New Testament, we connect us a little bit of God, but not a lot of God and mixing the things together. And we come up with false prophets. There's also false teachers, false apostles, false evangelists, There's a false of everything. And we know that Jesus gives a pretty stern warning. Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we raise the dead, heal the sick? And he says, depart from me. I don't know you. And so we know we can, we can have people who do stuff in the name of the Lord. That has nothing to do with God. That's a little different than what we're talking about tonight in prophecy. It's, a, it's a the same close, but not the same. Okay, This is more of saying that someone would say to you, the Lord says to you, or the Lord would say, this is the word of the Lord. And it doesn't come true. So are they a false prophet? That's what we want to talk about. One of the best examples is in the book of Jonah, his story. So turn with me to Jonah. The very first book, uh, I mean the very first chapter, second verse. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call it against it, for their evil has come upon me. Yet Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. So he went down to Joppa found the ship which was going, and paid his fare, and went down into go with them, the Tarsh, from the presence of Yahweh. So Jonah is running. Okay, He goes to Joppa, he's going to a dock, a port, and he's getting ready to leave. A fun fact about Joppa, that's the same place Peter had a vision on the rooftop about going with Cornelius uh, and preaching to the Gentiles. So it's pretty neat how God has used the same area in the new and the old and continues to reach people, except... Uh, in this particular case, Jonah did not follow through where Peter did follow through. But what happens here is Jonah's running. He's trying to go as far away from Nineveh as possible. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He doesn't like Nineveh. Not interested in the people in Nineveh. It is a very, very wicked city at the time. It was harsh. It was cruel. And he didn't want to go. He felt that they were beneath him, kind of like the Gentiles were. Uh, when Peter saw the unclean sheet and said, no, I, I don't want to go. I'm not eating it. And, and the Lord, you know, eventually won him over and he listened and he went. So Jonah is going to Nineveh. And if you keep reading chapter one, he was on a boat and the sailors knew something was on the boat that's causing the storm. And by the way, a revival, at least for these sailors, happened when Jonah was thrown overboard. Not because of that, but because of the man of God. And salvation did come to these sailors, which is really cool that God used even this situation that could be viewed as negative, God used as positive, and there were salvations on this uh, ship here. So you know the story. Jonah was thrown into the sea, 
We say a whale swallowed him. The Bible says a great fish. Whale, great fish. Three days in the belly of the whale. And he's in there. And there's a great prayer in verse 2. I mean, in uh, chapter 2. But we're going to jump ahead uh, and look a little bit farther down into the story. Into Jonah chapter 3. We know that he was spit out on the shore. It took him three days to walk to the city. When he got to Nineveh, it was a day's walk through the city. So Nineveh is a big city. And he was probably, from all scholars' point of view, he's probably bleached white from the stomach acid of the big fish. And so, you know, you got to see this prophet in a bad mood, showing up on the shore, walking three days, probably not in the best mood. Um, you know, one experience to have to go tell a counselor about later afterwards, right? I was in a, a fish in the depths of the sea and pale white and maybe your skin's bleached from the stomach acid. Can't even imagine what he looked like coming down from, you know, into the city from this experience. And go with me to Jonah chapter 3. The king hears that this man is crying out and saying, hey, God is going to destroy the city. You need to repent. And let's go to verse 7. And the king said that in Nineveh, the decree of the king and his nobles, do not any man, animal, herd, flock, taste a thing, do not let them eat, do not let them drink the water. I mean, this is a fast. No food, no water. Man, Everyone, animal, herd, nobody, for three days. Both man and animal must be covered with sackcloth. Let the men call on their God with their strength, and each may turn from his evil way and from the violence which is in his hands. And he said, who knows? You know, verse 9, God may turn and relent and turn away from his burning anger so we will not perish. In verse 10, then God saw their works, and they turned from their evil ways, so God relented concerning the evil which he had spoken. He would bring upon them, and he did not bring it upon them. Well, this is the part where it gets very interesting. Because we just read in Jeremiah and Deuteronomy, if a man says that he's a prophet from God, and he gives a word that in three days the city is going to be destroyed, and in three days the city is not destroyed, okay, what would happen back then? All right? Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. So it's a three-day walk into the city. He walks through the city for a day and he says, yet for 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. So they put on and fasted, right? Recap all this again. They're fasting, the animals, everyone, they're in sackcloth, ashes. This prophet said, this is going to happen. The people are responding. It's a big deal. It's going to happen. And then the Lord changes his mind. He relents, right? He, he moves his heart and he doesn't do it. Now, we know the story because we're reading it, and we know that the people repented. We just read it in chapter 3. We know they repented. But no one else knows this outside of the people who were fasting. But it, no one else would have known it. you gotta, you got to grab this. Here's a prophet who just gave a word. Yes, the people did something, but who would know that other than the people who did it? Outside or to talk, to chatter. Let's jump to 2023. So the Lord sends someone, a prophet, to a church. He's a church, for example, and you give them a word, and a church makes the changes it needs to make, and nothing happens. The word doesn't happen. And so that church would know it's because we fasted and prayed, and we heard from God, and that. But everyone else on YouTube and Facebook and everywhere else that it was said uh, that this prophet said God was going to do something would say, It didn't happen. You missed it. You're a false prophet. You said that church was going to have, you know, whatever happened to it, and it never happened. Well, because you don't know the inside part of the people's response. We only know the outside part. 
we know the inside part is because we have the Bible and we can read it. So what actually happened? What is, what is happening here that this prophet is giving direct thing? Because God told him twice. I mean, he said, you're going to go, then he's, you're going to go. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, he misunderstood him. He knew what he was supposed to do. How do we take this into context now and say, okay, we don't have the inside of everything that happens with prophetic words because we don't know other people's business. But we do know that not every word spoken about a person or for a person or even for a church for that matter always comes to pass. Uh, there was words spoken over this nation about an election and it didn't happen. And a lot of people jumped on false prophets. They missed it. They shouldn't be a prophet. You have to be 100% accurate. And I agree. You have to be 100% accurate to be a prophet from God. 100% accurate that you are saying what God has actually said to you. You must be 100% accurate in that. There's no way around that. If you're hearing from another God, if you're hearing from a different source, if you're putting your opinions in it, your mixture in it, no, it's wrong. You've got to be 100% accurate you're hearing from God. Now, there are two kinds of words given that we see in Scripture. Prophetic words. We see one that have zero effect on our ability to have a free will or our ability, in other words, to change things. Let me give you an example. The Lord said, it is going to flood the earth and rain. Okay? No one can change that. God said it. It's happening. The Lord said, I'm sending my son into the world. It's happening. There's no opinion, no uh, repentance, no change of heart, no free will, no disobedience is going to change it. So when God speaks something that is 100% God doing it, there is zero room, zero room, now listen, zero room for that not to be true because there's no variables. However, when a word is given that involves people, always remember this, people don't have to listen. People don't have to do what they're supposed to do. God's not going to come down, and you could argue this, but God's not going to come down and make somebody do what God has told them to do. In other words, Jonah left. You say, well, a fish swallowed him, so eventually he did do it. Well, yeah, eventually, but the eventual part is, even still we're here, we're a whole city repentant, and so God changed his mind, but you wouldn't know that. But Jonah knew this, and we're going to get to that in a minute. He knew this. So if someone gives you a word, let's use an example. The, the, someone used uh, a prophet in your life and came to you, the Lord did. He used a prophet in your life, and that prophet gave you a word and said, the Lord said, you're going to be in ministry. You do know there's a lot of variables, a lot of your part, that there's zero control of the prophet who gave you the word. And unless God removes free will, unless God removes your and I ability to have decisions, to have the the inward wanting to serve God or not serve God. In other words, if he makes us like robots where we're, we're drones, we have no choice, we are just, this is what we are pre-programmed, we have no choice. Unless God would remove all those things from us and add into us as the, the positive, like being a robot or a drone, then there is always the possibility for us to disobey. There's always a possibility for us not to do what God called us to do. I'll say the word disobey in many different ways that we can say, I changed my mind. I don't want to do it. I don't like, the price is too high. The call is too high. There's a, a trillion, that's not even a number, but there's a million reasons that we could say, I'm not doing it. Now, that doesn't mean the word that you're going to be in ministry is false. It doesn't mean the one who gave it is wrong. 
It doesn't mean that God doesn't believe that about you. It could mean you're not obeying God. Let's look at Moses. Over his life, Moses is going to be the deliverer of all of Egypt, right? He's going to go in and he's going to save God's children. He's going to save them all. Well, we know he kills the Egyptian and he leaves. He, he, he leaves. He goes in desert for 40 days. So if you gave that word 40 days, 40 years, if you gave that word, you would say the man left. So that prophetic word obviously isn't true. Now, if you stick around long enough for him to come back and challenge Pharaoh and win, then yes, the word came true. But that's a long time. And in 2023, with social media and the way things work, you and I both know it wouldn't take but four minutes once we found out that someone missed who the president was going to be. But how do we know they were wrong? How do we know that the people that prophesied that he was supposed to be president missed it? How do we know that people didn't do things they shouldn't have done? Now, I'm not going to get in conspiracy and all that, so please don't go with it. Stay on topic. Stay on topic, all right? We're talking about God. We're not getting into politics. But how do we know that the heart of the man didn't change and God had to move his decision? How did God, how do we know that people didn't interfere? How do we, we don't know everything. If we read the story at the end, right, we have Jonah 1, in other words, but we don't have 2, 3, and 4 yet. We just have where we are. So before we jump to someone being a false prophet, now this is not an excuse if someone gives you a word that doesn't come true to say, well, Jason said they're not all, no. If the word has a contingency, that free will is a fact in the, uh, the truth or the fulfillment of that word, we cannot just throw out the window the, the entire ability for people to disobey God, to say, I don't want to do it. We can't make you know this, this blanket, if you get a word that you're going to be in ministry, there's nothing that's going to happen, you're going to be in ministry. It's absolutely not true. You can run. You can tell God, no, there's a lot of things that you could do. I think what we're doing is blaming the people or prophets who give the words over the responsibility of those who receive the word. Let me explain that to you. There's a responsibility when you get a word. Nineveh had a responsibility to respond. And if they didn't, that word's coming true. But they did not just sit there. They responded. When you get a word, there's always a God's part and your part in every word you're ever going to get from a real prophetic person. Always. Why? Well, because there's always a God part, because that's where you're getting a word from. There's a your, you part, because the word's for you. Wouldn't make any sense for you not to have a you part when the word's for you. In other words, stuff you're going to have to do. If you're going to be in ministry, you're going to have to you know, be in ministry, make some life changes, and you're going to have to pursue the things God tells you and probably uh, advance yourself in knowledge and understanding and get counsel. And there's a whole bunch of things that you're going to have to do. And so I, I want to encourage you that if you've gotten a word and it didn't come true, find out was the word, the meat, the actual word from God. And then see, maybe I, I was in disobedience. Maybe I didn't listen. Maybe I didn't do my part. And it's a very real possibility that the word was true and we have not responded to it. But it's very quick on social media to say, false prophet. The problem with that is, if then that person's a false prophet in one area, why would we take anything they say in any area? And that's the attitude a lot of people get. And they just say, well, I'm not going to get into prophetic ministry because look at how we get treated. I, you know, we can't just lump it all together. Let me to Jonah chapter 4. 
You still with me? You good? All right. It's Jonah chapter four. Jonah chapter four. Very, very, very first verse. But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while still my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, in abundance and loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Jonah saying, before I left, I knew you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abundance in loving kindness, and you relent concerning calamity. In other words, you're a good God. I knew this before I ever left. Listen to what Jonah's saying. He's not lying to God because God would know that Jonah's lying. Think about that. You're pretty close to God. He would know you're lying. So he says to him, I knew before I left, God, that you weren't going to do this because it's not your desire to bring on calamity. Despite what people may have taught you about God, God's good. It's never his desire to bring destruction. He doesn't want to destroy this nation. He doesn't want to put his thumb in, wipe us out because we're getting away from God. No, he's very kind and merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, abundant in, in loving kindness. And in, in, he doesn't want all that. What he wants is for us to turn from our wicked ways, to turn our hearts back to him. Jonah knew this. I believe he knew it before he left. I believe he knew that before he even went there, that he was probably thinking, these people are going to change. They're, I know you don't want to destroy them. And why do I believe that so much? Because Jonah says to the Lord, please, Lord, was not this what I said? Please, Lord. Like, why did you do this to me? Why did you put me through all this? Like, please, Lord, I knew this. You knew this. And now what's going to happen to Jonah? According to Jeremiah, according to Deuteronomy, according to a lot of places, according to Scripture, they're going to call him a false prophet. They're going to say, you did not hear from God. Now, I know no one in Nineveh is going to say that because they repented. But everyone else would say it. And what does Jonah say in verse 3? Therefore now, O Lord, take my life from me. Death is better to me. Death is better to me. And the Lord says, do you have a good reason to be angry? And in and, and Jonah's mind, I mean, you just got labeled as missing it on a city as big as Nineveh. And people know you missed it because you went to Joppa. You got on a boat. They knew you were running from God. You told the sailors you didn't want to go. Like, people, the word is going to travel. You know how word travels because they have the internet. I mean, word still travels. Imagine now. Imagine now God sends someone to this nation and they say to the nation, you know, in 40 days, God is going to destroy this nation. And our president and our leaders get on the TV and, and all over social media and they say, no man, woman, child, animal, nothing, no food, no water for three days, sackcloth and ashes, and we're going to fast. And, and the whole nation did this. It would be a miracle, but let's say it happened. And God changed his mind. Well, everywhere on social media and everywhere else outside of here, and every non-believer and everyone trying to find you know, where they don't believe in the charismatic gifts or the Holy Spirit gifts or any of the gifts, whatever, uh, they would just say, oh, I told you prophets are fake. None of this is real. It didn't happen. And would you be willing to stand for God and be known as a false prophet, but to see a city be saved? And so people give Jonah a hard time. And he went out from the city and he sat east of it. He made a shelter for himself and sat underneath the shade so he could see what would happen in the city. So Lord God appointed a plant to grow up over Jonah to shade him. 
and deliver him from his discomfort, and Jonah was extremely happy about it. But God appointed a worm when the dawn came the next day and attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching heat. When the sun beat down Jonah's head, so he became faint and begged with all of his soul to die, saying, Death is better for me than life. And this guy is not having a good time. He gave a word. It didn't happen. He's arguing with God. He knows in his, in his head he's thinking, Great, well, this is wonderful. Now be a false prophet. And now a plant comes up, gives him shade. He wakes up. The plant dies. And now the Lord's sending the heat on him. You know, you can say what you want about Jonah and his attitude and this and that, and there are a truth to that. But at the same time, this man is going through some stuff. Look at Elijah. He outruns a chariot, meets Jezebel, gets scared. I know I'm going fast through a story, paraphrasing. Ends up in a cave, singing, it's better for me to die. I'm the last prophet alive. I, this is not uncommon for prophetic people to get to this position. I don't want to talk about what we're going to talk about in the school of the prophets, but we cover stuff like this because this is a big part of prophetic people. It's a big part because you know God and you give a word to someone and you already know that you know God and you know what's going to happen when you give it. And yet you're not allowed to say anything and, and, and people make their judgments or whatever. And God's trying to make a point to Jonah, which I, I, you know, I understand in this condition, Jonah's probably having a hard time hearing it, but he's trying to make a point to him. And God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plan? And he said, I have a good reason to be angry even to death. And here's what the Lord's trying to get Jonah to understand. Then the Lord said to him, You have compassion on the plant which you did not work and you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals? Now before you uh, stop that thought, I want you to read this again. Where there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left. A lot of people believe that 120,000 persons are children under the age that would understand their right hand from their left. They're not saying the city is so dumb that no one knows the difference between their right hand and the left. There are some commentaries that go to direction. Most of them believe, though, that this is talking about a children or a child who does not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals. So if you have 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from the left, let's just say children for a sake of conversation, you can figure how many adults have to be in that city for there to be this many. He's trying to say to Jonah, how do you not care about all these people that the Lord did, you know, he did the work with. He raised them and, and did this because he created everything. That's why he's trying to compare it to the gourd. He says, you did not work for this gourd. You did not make the plant. You didn't do anything. But people are God's thing. We are his creation. He did make us. He did grow us. He did raise us. And he's trying to explain to them, how, how are you more upset about something that brought you personal comfort, but not something that's bringing God comfort? I really want you to hear that. How are you more upset about something that's giving you personal comfort that you did nothing for? You did nothing for your call. You did nothing for your gift. You did nothing for your title. You did nothing for people that treat you like a prophet or treat you prophetically or treat you at all. And yet when that gets shaken from you, when that gets torn from you, you're upset right to the point of death. But shouldn't you care more that you have just rescued 120,000, uh, let's say children, under four or five years old who don't know the difference between their right and their left. Let's say it's adults 
more than 120,000 people who don't know the difference between their right and their left, which means they would be extremely uneducated, which means they would probably not have the comprehension to understand just how evil they were, and that you got to be a part of rescuing that back to God? How, how is it that in the prophetic world, in, in the, what I mean by that is in the prophetic community, I don't know if it's the right word or not, but in a community of people who believe in the prophecies and prophets, and the gift of prophecy. How is it that we're so concerned with being labeled false or accurate? In other words, the thing that can hurt us, the gourd over our life, right? Well, they might say, Jason, you gave word didn't come true. I know. Or they might say, great, okay, but here's the point. If it's from God, if it really was from God, then that word cannot return void, okay? It can't, it has to produce something. And if that word from God changed 120,000 thousand people who do not know their right hand from their left then it doesn't matter what the messenger looks like your heart shouldn't care about the messenger your heart should care that you have a city that has changed let's wrap this up by turning to matthew chapter 7 beware in verse 15 beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves ravenous wolves right you will know them by their fruit are grapes gathered from a thorn bush or figs from thistles? No. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Listen to this. This is Jesus talking. I knew the whole Bible is the Lord talking. But listen, he's teaching this. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into a fire. Okay? Every prophet that is not producing fruit, that is not known by their fruit, who is not connected to the vine, is thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by your fruits. This is where we get, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the, the will of my Father. Now listen to this. Good fruit. You can tell a real prophet by good fruit. Now go back to Jonah chapter 4. Tell me that you don't consider... 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand repenting and coming to God. Let's say they're children, say they're adults. Just 120,000 people. Tell me that's not good fruit. That's amazing fruit. That's revival fruit. That is, that is life-changing, generational changing. That is talk about changing fruit. So when you look at Jonah and say about him not listening or getting upset, okay, maybe. But look at this part. The fruit of his word. So if you did not know that the people of Nineveh repented, if that part was never given to you, if you only knew Jonah was going to Nineveh to say God's destroying you, you found out the city wasn't destroyed, but you also found out 120,000 people now know the Lord and repented, and you would be stuck on, yeah, but the city didn't get destroyed. Listen to what I'm saying. And you would get stuck on, the city didn't get destroyed over the rejoicing 120,000 people change your life. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying to you? You give a word to someone and it may not come true because of variables and people's free will. However, the fruit of the end of it is that person changed or this happened or the kingdom of God expanded and grown. How can we keep focusing on what we believe needs to be the evidence of true prophetic words instead of judging the fruit. If we would judge the fruit of a prophetic word, as Jesus said, 
the details wouldn't matter. What would matter would be 120,000 people who don't know the difference between their right hand or left. And listen, God even cares about the animals as well as many animals are all saved because a prophet went to Nineveh and delivered a word from God. How they responded is not our business. All right. What I mean by that is how you respond to the word God gave you is not my business. Now, what do I mean by that? It's not my responsibility how you respond to a word from the Lord. It's no one's responsibility except the person who got the word. I look at fruit. When there's a word given, regardless of what it produces in my eyesight or my understanding of it, I look at did it produce fruit that is biblical? Did it produce fruit that I can connect to the Holy Spirit working, that I connect to Jesus, that I connect to Scripture? Is there biblical good fruit from that word? I don't care about the the inside moving of the free will and all that stuff. Because if you get stuck on it, you will miss the fruit of what God is doing. You'll miss it. Now, you could say in this nation, what's going on now? Did we miss it? Because look at the fruit. Do we have good fruit or do we have bad fruit right now? A lot of you will say, well, we have bad fruit. We have good fruit. We have this and that. We had a massive overturning in this country uh, with not the right, uh, how I would have thought, would have been the right president to do it. We have a lot of things going the right direction. We have a lot of things going the bad direction and probably now more going bad. Time's going to tell with the fruit. That's what's going to happen. Time will tell with the fruit. And if we missed it, and if we missed it, people who gave those words about who was going to win, the fruit's going to show up. Maybe not in these four years. It may be in the next five, six, seven, eight. We don't know. Let's not sit there and stare at this and look around and only focus on the negative. There's good things God's doing, even though we may not have gotten the results we wanted. Things have been reversed, overturned. Again, good things have happened. A lot of bad. I'm not going to argue with you on that. But let's not focus on all the negative bad fruit. God's going to cut that from the vine, throw it in the fire. He's taking care of that. Our job is to focus on the good fruit. Let's not get mad about the gourd. Okay? Let's be happy that this is causing Christians in this country to pray more, to get more involved, to get out there and understand we, we've got to be a light. We've got to get up and do something. We've got to get you know, control of this country. We need to get evangelists. We need to get missionaries to this country. We need to get the gospel preached. We need to get back to holiness, to reverence. We need to unite and, and stop bickering and arguing about everything. We need to learn how to love. And you can see it. You can see it uh, a shifting in the body of Christ because of what happened. Now, had it gone the other way, maybe we all would have got lazy. Maybe we would have kept going the way we're going. And maybe we wouldn't have done much. I don't know. Because we can't go back and speculate because we can't do that. But I do know this. I'm seeing good fruit. Even though I'm not seeing the city of Nineveh destroyed. I'm still seeing good fruit. And I'm going to focus on looking at the 120,000. And I'm going to focus on this nation at looking at what God's doing in the church. The revival springing up. All the things that the Lord is doing in the body of Christ. That's what I'm choosing to look at because I want to see the fruit of that prophetic words of those who spoke what was going to happen in this nation. And I still believe God has a plan to bless this nation, to bring revival to this nation. And I don't think he's done with us because in the words of Jonah, I believe that God is gracious and compassionate. 
I believe he's slow to anger, abundance in loving kindness, and he relents concerning calamity. The Lord is still in control. Let's not throw everything out the window because words were contingent on the free will of men and women. And it, it very much so was over this nation. And it's very much so in our life when we get it for us personally. And it's very much so for a congregation or for a city. Anything involving people where there's the possibility of disobedience, of rebellion, of free will, of just saying no, then we need to wait that word out and see if the fruit of that word produces the evidence that God was in it. That's how we tell, according to Jesus, we will know the tree by its fruit. Jesus spoke it, we know it, and that's what we're going to have to put our faith into. So I don't want to keep going. We could talk about this for a long, long time. I hope that blessed you. I'm sure you're going to have many questions about them. Send them to the ministry. Uh, maybe we'll continue doing teaching on it. But hey, T. Jason Price, Power for Freedom Ministry, Spirit Life. As always, thank you for sharing the videos and liking the page, uh, subscribing to YouTube. Go to our website, pffministries.org for everything that's coming up. You can partner with the ministry in prayer, which we need. You can also partner financially with us on our website. You can also join in in our building fund that is going on currently for our Windsor location. God bless you. I want to pray with you. And then, uh, listen, I want you to go look at your life and look at those words and see, hey, what part did I have in it? And let's focus. Let's all try to really focus on not the process of God working, but the original word from God and the fruit it produces. And let's trust God in the middle. Amen. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your understanding. We thank you for your uh, opening up our hearts to maybe release some forgiveness, maybe some judgments, maybe some just blanket off-the-cuff statements we may have said about certain people without really understanding that there are things working behind the scene that you are doing that we are not aware of. May we all learn from this story of Nineveh. May we all learn uh, that, God, you are gracious and slow to anger and full of unfailing love and mercy and kindness. And, Father, you don't really want to destroy anything. It's not your plan to bring calamity onto your people. And, Father, we pray that if we've gotten a word and that we disobeyed, if we rebelled against it, and we don't blame back to where it came from. We take responsibility, God. You help us tonight to take responsibility, and we move forward, and we continue to grab a hold of that plow and work with you until we achieve what you've called or said over our lives, over our ministry, over the church, and Lord, over this nation. May we not lose hope and get discouraged. May we not just keep looking with our eyes. May we look with our spiritual eyes, listen with our spiritual ears, and really see the good that you are doing in this nation. Because it's there, Father. We just got to look for it. It's there. And I believe that you are going to keep rising that up to the surface that we may see more and more of them. And we trust you. We trust your plan. It may not happen as fast as we want, but we trust you and we trust your plan. Father, be with us as we grow through this process of maturity and understanding that we may be able to handle it as men and women, that not driving offense or bitterness, not getting angry, uh, not getting jealous, not getting gossipy and all that stuff, Father, that we may continue to grow as mature men and women in your kingdom, sons and daughters, developing our gifts, being skilled and trained 
with understanding, accuracy, boldness, anointing, power, and might that we can fulfill the call that is on our life. We thank you, Father. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Again, T. Jason Price, Power for Freedom Ministries. I will be at Oil Lamp on Friday. I will be in Windsor on Sunday. School of Prophets, you missed the first week, uh, but there's still time. And then after this week, it will be closed because if you miss the second week, it'll be too much to catch up. God bless you. God bless. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this episode of PFFM Spirit Life Teachings. If you have any questions or comments, need prayer, or just want to reach out, please call or text 717-537-PFFM or email us at info at pffministries.org. God bless.